not all checks are equal. You can go get funding from somebody who will give you a check and no more than that. Or you can get funding and a check and a partner in a journey that will inspire you, support you, push you, look for the latter. It's easy to get checks, but that's, that's no big success. There's so much capital being poured into our space right now. The check is the easy part. The success story after the check is what's really important and just never lose sight of that. When Sean Brown was head of corporate development for a multinational software and solutions provider, he managed numerous acquisitions ranging from small domestic firms to large international public companies. He was able to leverage this experience when he sold YCharts, where he's currently the CEO, to a private equity firm this year. I spoke to Sean about the transaction and how it changed YCharts future plans, how adding SMA data to the portfolio analytics suite increases the number of competitors now gunning for them, and a whole lot more on this episode of the Wealth Management Today podcast. Hey, thanks for joining me here on another fantastic day in the wonderful world of wealth tech. I'm your host, Craig Eskowitz, and I run a consulting firm called Ezra Group. We are experts in everything related to wealth tech. This is the point where I usually give our standard marketing pitch, but I'm going to change it up a bit so I can sneak in a plug for our market analytics team that has been doing some incredible work led by our very own head of research, Gene Sullivan. If you are running a fintech firm looking to expand into new markets or develop new products, you're going to need data and insights on the client segments that you're targeting. You absolutely have to know what prospective clients are looking for, the size of the obtainable market, what your revenue potential is, who the top competitors are, and what functionality gaps exist in your product that need to be addressed. You can get all of this information and more from Ezra Group Research. If you're on the executive team at a growing fintech vendor, please contact Ezra Group right now by going to our website, ezragroupllc.com. Com and clicking on the button that says schedule a complimentary discovery session at the bottom of the homepage. Now, before we start the interview, remember to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen, and please give us a five-star review on iTunes. I and all of the WM Today production staff, staff will be very appreciative. And now on with the show. I am happy to introduce our guest for this episode of the podcast, Sean Brown, CEO of YCharts. Sean, how you doing, man? Hey, Craig. Thanks for having me today. Sean, I'm glad I could have you on the program. Always a glad when I can get people I think are interesting in the industry, doing interesting stuff onto this program. Um, and just so everyone knows, I'm recording this from, I'm in England. And where are you right now, Sean? I am in Lake Forest, Illinois, about 30 miles north of Chicago. Yeah, so using the power of the internet, power of technology, we're thousands of miles away, having a conversation, uh, and it's, it's wonderful. Can you please give the uh, listeners a 30-second elevator pitch for YCharts? No, I'd love to. Um, YCharts is a 10-year-old company, SaaS-based software company with a, a pretty simple vision and mission, which is to enable wealth advisors and asset managers to make smarter investment decisions and better communicate with their prospects and customers. That's what we do. Uh, 
We've got over 6,000 customers. The majority of them are either asset managers or wealth advisors. That's fantastic. Really like your product uh, and what you guys are doing in the market. But before we, I wanted to go into a little bit more of the trends that you're seeing, but before we do that, can you just give a quick overview of how you got here? Like you started out in consulting, which I, I have a, a soft spot for consultants, but how did you get to <laughs> be running um, this, 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 this FinTech startup? Uh, watch up? Well, I've, I've had a, a, a career that may not look linear, but it always felt linear to me. I, I started my career as a software developer, got a really good grounding in technology got an MBA and then became a strategy consultant where I was learning uh, and, and developing and my chops in strategy. Um, then I went into the startup world and um, held, you know, uh, CFO, COO roles. Um, went into corporate development where I was traveling the globe, um, buying and selling companies for a public company that bought my startup. Um, always circling around the, the finance space and the technology spaces uh, at every stop in the journey. And uh, which led me to lead a division of interactive data, which was sold to ICE and now be the leader of YCharts. And it's the decades of work to become an overnight success. Well, that's, you know, that, I think that's the truth. And I've, I've made a whole lot of mistakes in my career and I've got some gray hair to show it, but, uh, but uh, yeah, I've got a little bit of experience in how uh, technology can be applied to financial services. You know what they say, what writers say is um, good stories come from bad decisions. That's a, I like that. <laughs> I like that. I've always, I've always been such a big believer that, um, you learn so much more from your failures than you do from your successes. And I'm not, not saying anything that hasn't been said since Mesopotamian times, but sometimes when you succeed too quickly or too often, um, you don't realize how good fortune weighed in there. Um, when you fail, I think in your introspective, I think you learn some great lessons that you try to apply going forward. You said uh, you mentioned how many clients you have, and uh, it's it's a, a large number of clients of advisors and asset managers. So you're talking to these guys every day. What are you seeing out there? What are some of the trends you're seeing in the market? Well, um, you know, I I think the big thing you're obviously seeing is is advisors, much like every other industry in America or in the world, including, you know, in the UK where, where you're physically located right now. Um, the world's been turned upside down and a lot of the things you used to do through face-to-face -face interaction need to be done through digital mechanics. Um, I, you know, specific to advisors, we were seeing this before the pandemic, but it's only been accentuated in the pandemic. You're seeing um, them have a real emphasis on how are they going to justify their fees. Um, you're seeing them want to make sure they're doing all the right things to retain their clients. And you're also seeing them say, how do I reinvent the way I do business in light of the pandemic and in light of the fee justification in light of models and in light of a uh, number of other things, how do I reinvent my business um, so it better serves the customer and also uh, helps me grow my small enterprise. 
And I'm sure they're looking for technology to help do that. So what are some of the ways that they're coming to you? And what are they asking you guys for? Are they happy with what you have? Are they looking for new stuff? And how are you reacting to that? Well, I, I think, um, you know, the big thing we're seeing advisors, they're not using these words, but I'd summarize it, that they're looking for technology to help them bring order to chaos. Um, and, and when I say chaos, there's just a lot of things hitting them at the same time. And if you think about um, some little things, like there was a, a stage where an advisor could be in touch with their clients a couple times a year, send out a quarterly statement and, and maybe have a steak dinner or two. And that was perfectly sufficient as long as this statement that they were receiving on a quarterly basis was upward trending, going upward and to the right. Um, the patriarch and the matriarch of the family would give each other a high five and say, we're progressing towards our goals. I, I think the shock of late Q1 of this year helped clients of wealth advisors and helped the advisors themselves see um, Things aren't always going to go upward and to the right. And how is the advisor going to stay in persistent touch with their customer? How are they going to make sure they have the right portfolio and asset allocations? And long and short, how are they going to reprove to that client that the 1% of AUM that they're paying is well, well, well worth it? So we're seeing them apply technology to say, uh, how am I going to better communicate with a prospect? How am I going to better configure a portfolio or a proposal? And how am I going to better stay in touch with my constituents? Yeah, and those things are something that every advisor needs to do, every firm really needs to do. And I know you guys started out, I mean, why charts? The name has charts in it, so it's, it's, it implies yeah. technical analysis. And yeah. your charting is, is really some, some cool stuff. That's how I first heard about you was all was your charting many mm -hmm. years ago. And then you you added other functionality and now you really have a lot more portfolio analytics built in. Um, how has that been changing over the years? How, how has you seen that, that, that type of of tool evolving and being used by advisors? Are they using it differently? Are they using it the same as they always have? Are they using more of it? What are you seeing? Yeah, the first thing I'd say is it's 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 kind of funny when I think about the Y charts name. It's almost like if if Jeff Bezos had named his firm Online Books, you know. Um, we started out as charting, and the the premise we started out with was visualize. It, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. Visualization is a wonderful way to communicate. It's a wonderful way to derive insights, and it's a wonderful way to communicate them. Um, when we really started to focus on wealth advisors though, we saw that their needs are much, are, are just plentiful in the areas of, how are you gonna better support my workflows? Yeah, granted, I see how you can help me build a compelling technical or fundamental chart. Got it. There are other players that can help with that. I think our mission is really, how are we gonna empower them to manage their workflows? And you know, how are we gonna help them make the complex easy? and make the easy quick. So, you know, the things we're really focused on is if an advisor knows they have a prospect meeting, we know what they're gonna do in that prospect meeting. They're going to talk to them about 
their current holdings and they're going to talk to them about their recommended portfolio. Well, we know what you're trying to do and we think we can get you 80 to 90% of the way there through some pre-canned templates. Um, hey, we know on a quarterly basis, you want to send out to all of your clients a quarterly economic analysis. And a, a little secret is we also know because you've told us you're not an expert on macroeconomics. So this is a laborious process that takes you a week where you dread it and you put the kids to bed at night and you scratch your head and say, uh, what's monetary policy again? And how does GDP fit into all this? Well, what we do is we create that template quarterly economic analysis for you that you put your logo on, you take out some of our commentary, you add some of your own commentary, but anyway, it turns something that was taking you a laborious five days into a non-laborious 30 minutes to an hour. And so long and short is our, our goal is how are we gonna help advisors um, make their lives easier? How are we going to save them a half a day to a day of time a week? And we keep finding ways to do that. And that's really what it's all about. And the, the, the one commodity we don't only have a limited amount on is time. And how, if you can save advisors a little bit of time every week or every day, it's going to add up. So yeah. what, Espe what? especially when you, Craig, I'm sorry, uh, especially when you weave that into the, the fee compression, uh, how, how do you fight fee compression? You either better justify your fees or you succumb to lower fees and say, I need to bring in more clients to keep my same revenue. So all of this in my eyes weaves to how are you going to better use processes and technology to um, make a better portfolio, better returns or better communicate to, to justify your current fees. Or if you say, I'm going to lower my fees from one percentage point to 0.75 percentage points, how am I going to take on 25 new customers? Well, I better have a good way to prospect. I better have a good way to create a proposal and a financial plan. And I better have a really good way to stay in touch with that prospect so that they say you're really earning your three quarters of a point fees that you're charging. Yeah, it's interesting how fee compressions really hit every aspect of the supply chain, except really advisors. They really haven't been affected too much, but they're, they're starting to feel it. Do you see that more from your clients? Yeah, I think what we're seeing is, um, especially those that charged on the higher end of the fee ranges, they, our perception is they're getting crushed. Those that were, that were in the one and a quarter, one and a half, two percentage points of fees, they're getting absolutely crushed. Now, those who had built a business around 1% of AUM and below, they're seeing less pressure on their fees. But I would anticipate, um, you know, if I go buy Pop-Tarts at the local grocery store, um, those Pop-Tarts are the same Pop-Tarts uh, at two stores down. And I better make sure the client experience and my overall offering justifies them coming in to buy Pop-Tarts for me. And it's the same thing with advisors. If you're going to have generic offerings with, you know, hey, I'll, I'll do a financial plan. Um, I, I'm not specialized on a niche. I'm going to have a generic financial plan and I'm going to manage your assets through a passive approach using ETFs and, and models. Um, 
don't be surprised when people start to say, well, why is your approach any different from that guy's approach where I could save uh, substantial basis points? Indeed, where uh, there's a lot of advisors still see their value added in investment management, is, is offering investment management services, mm -hmm. what we call a repus PM in the managed account world. Very popular, assets still flowing in, advisors still doing that. So your, your product seems like it's a great fit for those types of advisors. Uh, mm -hmm. How are they using your product differently now? Are they changing what they're looking for? Are they looking for different types of products than they were two or three years ago? Yeah, and, and you're honing in on the on the, the folks we love talking to, um, the, the advisor as portfolio manager. Um, they are um, have moved from the day where you know they were focused on stocks, um, to then they were focused on mutual funds, to then they were focused on ETFs. Real focus now on models and leveraging. Um, pre-canned tailorable solutions, whether those are commercial models or those are models that they've got eight of their own that are, have been thought out. And those models are generally comprised of ETFs and mutual funds. So we're seeing the evolution through time of products that embed diversification uh, from day one. And we're seeing advisors say, hey, I've got a template model that's pretty good for 25% of my customer base that's this age with this type of risk profile. I'm gonna propose that, but I'm also gonna take a look and say, what are their assets held away and how are their exposures and how does this fit within their investment philosophy? And then I'm gonna tweak it. So we continue to see the use of replicability, um, which again, when you're trying to do build once, and sell or use multiple times, that's a prime opportunity for technology to be applied. And that's what we're seeing people come to us and saying, I'm gonna build my models in your software. I'm gonna tweak them in your software. I'm gonna evaluate the relative merits of performance and exposure in your software. And then I'm gonna confidently get into a prospect or client meeting using that information. Yeah, it's, it makes sense that they would wanna do that. It's a, they're looking for efficiency and being able mm -hmm. to, to pull in a model is saves you a lot of time rather than doing all the research yourself. Not that they couldn't do it through your software, which, and you have mm -hmm. a tremendous number of screeners and tools and, and mm -hmm. ways to, to filter and slice and dice the, the market. But where are they going with, with, with these products? Are they, are they changing what they're looking for? I know you just came out with uh, SMA data. Why did you do that? Because uh, I, I thought that most advisors aren't really involved with separately managed accounts. Is this something you're seeing? Obviously you're seeing a, an upswell of advisors asking for this. Yeah, first of all, one thing I'd say on, on the work they're doing is let's not, let's not forget the regulatory overhang, which is um, advisors have a duty to have done their homework and to have documented the homework they've done to provide you know, a solution that's in the best interest of their customer. So um, we're, we're a nice repository where you can do your homework, press some easy buttons, helps you do the right analyses, help you save the right analysis so that you can confidently state to your customer or anybody who comes to look over your shoulder, we did, we did the right thing um, for our customer. Um, you know, so I, I think what clients are generally looking for is how can you make the analysis I want to do and need to do as easy as possible? 
So you brought up a good point. Uh, Reg BI is just mm -hmm. uh, changing the way a lot of advisors do their business, at least on the compliance side. What, mm -hmm. what tools do you have that advisors can use to help them in that area? Well, we've got pre-canned analyses, which is a, a really big one, which is we, we know the things uh, 80 to 90% of people who want to do a fundamental analysis or an exposure analysis or a relative merit analysis, we know what they're trying to do. And, um, and you put in two security names, stocks, ETFs, mutual funds, models will help you compare the relative merits um, to the point you brought up earlier, which I don't think I, I fully answered on SMAs. Um, SMAs is something for high-end customers that um, advisors want to have as an option. And we just felt it was the right thing to put in and provide to them something that they, they, they don't wanna have to switch to another tool to do SMA data. Um, you know, we, we think the most enlightened advisors want to have access to a whole lot of different asset classes. They want to do, um, some good solid analysis, but they don't want to start from scratch with a blank sheet of paper and, okay, how do I, how do I compare these two portfolios? Um, and, and we think the best thing we can do is help them very quick and efficiently do these analyses, help them save off these analyses and help them present these analyses to, um, their customers to say, I've got your back. I'm thinking about this for you. Here's my uh, proof points. Hope it works for you. Let's talk more. And, um, you know, when they want to meet their regulatory obligations or, or need to prove it, they've got a really nice documentation trail that helps them do that. Yeah, I think it's interesting you guys moved to SMA data. I mean, we work with a lot of enterprise firms, broker dealers and banks. And they're all about separately managed accounts. It's very popular with their clients, especially on the wirehouse side. Huge use, huge users of, of separately managed accounts. So it's interesting that mm -hmm. more RIAs are are using SMAs, whereas the majority of yeah. assets in the RIA space has always been ETFs and mutual funds. So seeing them move yeah. into SMAs, do you think it's also the the fact that there are more SMAs with lower minimums, um, no trading uh, costs? Uh, yep. The fractional shares gives other options for mass affluent clients. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there's, um, we have access to over 10,000 um, separate accounts. Um, just, just saying 10,000 means there's a lot out there. And, and I've always found the laws of supply and demand tell you um, uh, there wouldn't be 10,000 if there weren't ample needs and interest in them. The challenging part, whether it's you're talking about separate accounts or you're talking about models is everybody gets those at the conceptual level, but how do you compare them, right? It, 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 models, there are 10,000 models out there in model marketplaces. And a lot of them look something like this is a 60-40. That doesn't mean they're the same thing, right? So how do you, how do, you do your homework to compare two, you know, um, two 60-40 models to know which one's right and how do you know the exposures of those models and how do you know the underlying securities the thing we really like uh, to see that our clients are doing in our platform is they are taking these aggregated things whether those are models or those are mutual funds which are comprised of you know uh, or etfs comprised of a bunch of holdings is saying what are the atomic pieces of each of those aggregated things and 
how can I look and see what is my exposure in these two different models or these two different SMAs? What's my exposure to big tech or FANG stocks? And uh, we, we just find our, our, our clients really leveraging that functionality quite a bit and having very robust discussions with their customers afterward. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of clients don't even realize their exposure. They think, oh, mm -hmm. I'll buy a little Apple stock, I'll buy a little Facebook stock because it's in the news. They don't realize how much they already own in every mutual, in all the, you know, any large cap mutual fund. Hugely important, hugely important. People have no idea how much uh, uh, exposure they face in some of these things that look like well diversified assets on their own. They're, they they may or may not be, and and you or your advisor should do your homework. Yes, they should, which is why they need tools like like Y charts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One area we've seen a lot of movement in, uh, well, every year it seems to get more and more is M&A, you know, the, the, the mergers mm -hmm. and acquisitions and the amount of money coming into the space, especially um, not just our, buying RIAs and buying uh, broker dealers, but buying fintech firms that service the wealth management mm -hmm. space. We're seeing a lot of that. You guys just closed your own deal. Can you talk a little mm -hmm. bit about, uh, about that? Yeah, we were acquired by a private equity firm out of Philadelphia called LLR Partners, um, which is a really a thrilling milestone in our journey. It's neither the end nor the beginning of a journey. It's, it's a continuation that's going to help us uh, grow the way we have an opportunity to grow in our future. So we're really excited about that. And, and broadly, if it's in a context of the, the advisor space, and the space for fintechs that serve advisors is a very, very, very attractive space. Um, a lot of fundamental dynamics for advisors that say when they break away from a wirehouse or, or wherever they're coming from, they, they cut their chops on having their, if they're an RA, they cut their chops on having their own enterprise. But some of them realize the way to achieve their goals is actually to get economies of scale which says they may want to merge and engage in M&A. Um, in, in a lot of ways, the FinTech space is, is fairly similar, which is it's not that hard to put a technology asset out in the market. It is challenging and it is a, a, a many, many, many year journey to make a profitable, viable, solvent enterprise. And so anytime you have economies of scale as a driver in a market, and anytime a market is growing at a significant clip, um, those are fertile ground for M&A, and I think we're seeing a lot of that now. You have a lot of experience in M&A. I mean, you spend years, a couple of years in strategy development, as you mentioned, traveling the world, buying up companies for uh, a, a public company. So you've got, you have probably a lot more experience than the CEOs of other smaller fintechs. So you probably approached, so how did that experience, first of all, how did that experience help you when LLR came calling and said, hey, we want to buy you? Well, how, how did that change the way you approach that transaction? Well, I, I think one of the things I've learned over the course of my career is M&A is not successful just because the buyer and seller agree to a price. In fact, Sometimes that's a recipe um, you know, for a lack of success. I think what makes M&A successful 
is a shared vision of the future, uh, uh, tight cultural alignment, um, shared accountability, and an understanding that M&A doesn't work just by uh, handing somebody a check. M&A works when there's a check plus strategic collaboration plus uh, shared execution. And so I think the thing I learned through my career is like a marriage, it's not just about the ceremony, it's about setting the conditions for a successful marriage going forward. And so uh, bringing that to Y charts, um, we for the past um, handful of years have been growing tremendously fast, but we've been growing tremendously fast uh, while self-funding based on many, many years ago, some venture funding we raised, we've been constraining ourselves based on our cash flow. And, and we got to some great milestones, uh, revenue-wise, cash flow positive, all those great things. Um, but there's so much opportunity in the wealth advisor asset manager space. There's so much need for somebody to support them and their workflows that we said a, a, a really a, a change of pace, a capital infusion, uh, the ability to engage in future M&A was going to help us best serve our market. And so that's how we got there. And um, I'm just thrilled with uh, with the partner we've uh, we've found ourselves uh, married to for a long, long time. Good to hear. You want to be happy. At least at least this is still the yeah. honeymoon phase. Yeah. Yeah, but you know what? If 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 you if you do your homework up front, I found that with my own marriage. If you if you take the time to get to know the person you end up going on a honeymoon with, um, when when you come out of that honeymoon stage, it still feels like you're in a honeymoon. And uh, yeah, we're in the honeymoon stage with LLR, but I, I sure do feel good about the things we learned about them over the past three to six months. That says this is going to be a really nice marriage. A couple of things you you. You use the word shared a number of times when you're talking about the transaction, shared vision of the future, shared accountability, shared execution. Uh, is that something you would recommend to other CEOs of, of firms looking for funding that they want to focus on that shared, uh, everything being shared between the, the target and the acquirer? Or are there, are there other tips and tricks you'd, or tips and recommendations you'd give to CEOs who haven't been through this before. Mm. Yeah, I, th I think my biggest thing is um, not all checks, and those are physical checks, not all checks are equal. You can go get funding from somebody who will give you a check and no more than that. Or you can get funding and a check and a partner in a journey that will inspire you, support you, push you, um, challenge you, and um, look for the latter. It, it's easy to get checks, and, but that's that's no big success. There's so much capital being poured into our space right now. The check is the easy part. The success story after the check is what's really important and just never lose sight of that. And you know, if, if you're thinking of raising a round of venture capital or you're thinking of taking on some angel investors, um, don't limit your scope to, wow, I got a check. Say, what am I getting in addition to that check? Are they gonna be a partner or are they just gonna be someone who's expecting their money back in a certain amount of time? 
at least know at least know what you're getting yourself into. And and for the second phase in the Y charts journey, we had some terrific funding partners um, in our first phase. You know, uh, players like Morningstar and Hyde Park Angels and um, Reed Elsevier Ventures, et cetera. We had some terrific partners, and and it helped us get where we got to. And um, you know, thrilled for the the partner or the single partner we've got for this next phase of our journey. Sean, we are out of time. I really appreciate everything you've told us. Super interesting. I had 10 more questions I wanted to ask you. We didn't even get to them. Uh, but tell us where uh, anyone who's listening can find out more about YCharts. Well, come to our website, uh, YCharts.com. We love to talk to you. We love to chat with you. We're not one of those places you're not going to find the phone number. So first and foremost, come to us at whitecharts.com. Have a conversation, uh, take a free trial, and let's see if there's a fit between what we love to do and what you need. Excellent. Sean, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Craig. I really appreciate it. Hey, it's Craig again. Hope you enjoyed that episode. A couple of my takeaways. I really like hearing uh, Sean's history, you know, sort of how he got in the industry, uh, some of the things they're doing at Y Charts. I love, like the new product release. I really like their their uh, portfolio analytics tools. And adding SMA data is key in the managed account space. Uh, I don't see how you really can offer these uh, kind of tools without supporting SMAs, especially when you're going to the higher end uh, products. Got to have it. Uh, it's, uh, it's very important. The, um, some of their M&A experience and how it changed the way, uh, Sean and his team approached their recent transaction, uh, and how they uh, sold Y charts to a private equity firm. Uh, helpful for a lot of companies out there. We'll get, we get a lot of companies coming to us who are either looking, looking for private equity and need data, uh, to back up their projections or they are looking for other uh, information or other, uh, funding sources or look, even looking to merge or either or buy other companies. So having this kind of experience and hearing how Sean did it, I think is helpful for a lot of firms who are either in the same situation or hope to be in the situation in the future. And the other tip I thought Sean uh, provided was really useful is not all checks are created equal. You don't just want to get a check from a company that has the money. You really want someone who's going to be a partner uh, and someone who can has connections and who can give you advice and who can be a, a member of your advisory board or your board of directors and, and really help you help you grow rather than just providing some cash. So I hope you got a lot out of this episode, as did I. And before I go, remember, subscribe and like and share everywhere. I greatly appreciate it. I'll talk to you all again next time.